Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everyone. Uh, just wanted to have a quick moment at the start of this podcast to say that uh, I wanted to dedicate this episode of Under Consultation to the memory of Seb Patrick, who sadly passed away uh, over the weekend at the age of 37. Uh, Seb is a name that you may recognize. You've probably seen him on Twitter. You've probably heard him on various different podcasts or heard him on various different podcasts. I haven't quite come to grips yet with sort of talking about him in the past tense. So apologies if it it, it does come out that way. Um, But yeah, you may have seen him on Twitter. You heard him on podcasts. He was uh, a very, very loved man. And he had a lot of great passions. He was very much into his comic books, very much into his video games, into his 90s nostalgia. He was a fan of Games Master. He's a name that you may recognize if you've listened to the trailer for Under Consultation because we actually had Seb sort of help us out getting this podcast started. When Ash and I first did our pilot recording, I I sent it to a couple of people for their feedback. And one of those people, because it was someone whose opinion I highly valued, was Seb Patrick, who gave me his incredible feedback and he really helped me and Ash not so much shape the podcast but certainly refine a few areas that really did, well, really did need refining so he was an invaluable help in in getting us started on this journey and really over the last you know many many years I can't even think how many years he's been a voice in my ear a, a friend on on Twitter DMs he was the man who kind of put me onto Talking Simpsons he was the man that put me onto Sonic the Comic the Podcast which are two shows that kind of without them I don't know if I'd even be doing under consultation because they were the podcast that really spurred me on to this journey and to approach Ash about doing this show as I said, he was a fan of Games Master, which is why he was, you know, a friend of the show. He was going to be a guest at some point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try and wrap this up. But I did want to, I, it felt weird to release a podcast um, that's got sort of like the levity that this show often has uh, in the wake of, of his passing. Obviously, this was a, you know, episode that was recorded a couple of weeks ago. If you did know Seb or if you were a, a fan of his work and, and the, the great work that, that he's done over the years, whether that's writing, podcasting, uh, whatever that may be, um, there is a link in in the podcast description uh, to his Morium fund. Um, and like I think it's a testament to how loved and sort of admired Seb Patrick was that 
in just a few hours, you know, less than 12 hours, I think it sort of got nearly 13,000 pounds. Like he's, he was a, a loved figure and he we very, very much missed, uh, not just in the podcasting world, but in life in general. Um, please, if you've never listened to a show that he has done before, I urge you to go and check out his work. I was a huge fan of Cinematic Universe that he also did with James Hunt and Joe for, you know, quite a while before he left. Um, it was a point where if I saw a comic book movie or I watched a comic book TV show, I wouldn't really know what I thought about it until I'd heard uh, the Cinematic Universe review, um, particularly Seb's thoughts. And yes, he will be missed. I've, I've kind of gone on long enough here, but I did want to give a shout out to Seb Patrick and, and honor his memory and, and thank him for his contributions to this show. Um he may not have thought that they were particularly large, but they made quite an impact on me, and I think they have made quite an impact on this show. So rest in peace, Seb Patrick, and uh, we'll miss you. Welcome to the Games Rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. Having calibration issues, I'm one of your hosts, Luke Owen. And tinkering with my tappets, I am Ash Versus. <laughs> this episode aired on the 14th of January, 1993. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is still top of the charts, but still at the top of the UK box office. It's a few good men. And A Few Good Men is very deserving of the spot. Now, we mentioned William Goldman as being one of the people that contributed to the script. His rewrite was originally uncredited, but Sorkin liked it so much, he incorporated a lot of the changes into the stage version. So you had the stage version that became the film version, and then the film version influencing the stage version. And I can't think of many times stage to film to stage <laughs> has actually happened that way. A Few Good Men wasn't just successful at the box office, it also landed with most of the critics. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone said that the performances are uniformly outstanding and considers it a tribute to Rob Reiner, who directs with masterful assurance. Ah, see Rob Reiner. And William Goldman again. Yeah. They'd have worked together before on The Princess Bride, and nice to see that partnership paying dividends here. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! Richard Schickel in Time magazine called it an extraordinarily well-made movie which wastes no words or images in telling a conventional but compelling story. Roger Ebert was less enthusiastic, giving it two and a half out of four stars. What a weird rating system. Yeah. Four stars. I've never what really understood that. He said in many ways it's a good film with the potential to be even better. The flaws are mostly at the screenplay level. The film doesn't make us work, doesn't allow us to figure out things for ourselves and is afraid we'll miss things if they're not spelled out. I can see where he's coming from and yeah. it's what we brought up before. The screenplay was very much by the numbers because of the amount of people that would be going to see it because of who was in it, not what it was. Yeah. New releases in the games world. Pushover is released for the Super Nintendo, which we've talked about at length on this show. Now a game I really, really like. Rolling Thunder on the Atari Lynx, but a big, big release is Alien vs. Predator on the SNES. Oh, Alien vs. Predator. I do remember playing the arcade version of this at my local video shop. Yeah, it's a really, really good game. I, I 
I played it a lot on emulation later on in life. I, don't, I never got to play it at the time, um, but I was a big, big fan of like the Alien franchise and the Predator franchise, the comic books, and I loved, loved, loved the PC game, the first-person shooter that came out in the late 90s. I loved that game. I was always a big fan of what Dark Horse did with both the Alien and the Predator franchise separately and when they brought them together. Arguably, with the films, they should have just done straight-up adaptations of the Alien vs. Predator comics that Dark Horse did. Thankfully, this game is very much set in the Alien vs. Predator of Dark Horse world, and it shows in the design and the variety of the characters and the Predators and the aliens and the different takes on them. And, oh, yeah, it's a fun game. It's really, really good. On that Alien vs. Predator movie, uh, once again, I've recommended it before, but Tales from Development Hell, or I think it's in, either in Tales from Development Hell or the greatest sci-fi movies never made, there's a great write-up on the Alien vs. Predator movie series and how we very nearly got a straight adaptation of those Dark Horse movies, but the studio thought, we know better than the comic books, make me a film, not a comic book. I've kind of got a soft spot for the Alien vs. Predator movies in the same way I have a soft spot for a lot of bad sci-fi horror movies. But man, a straight-up adaptation of the comic books would have been great. Although, I don't think they'd have worked at the time when they were stuck in development hell. Mm -hmm. I think they would work now. And by now, I mean in the past 10 to 15 years. Yeah, 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 yeah on avp really like the best quote from that is what paul ws anderson has said that ridley scott told him that he thinks it's the third best movie to feature the alien creature so alien aliens, aliens. and then avp and you know what it, it probably is better than three resurrection it's certainly better than avp too and i think it's better than both the prometheus movies it clips along and doesn't get bogged down which is something that both prometheus and Alien Covenant do. They get bogged down. I've got a distinct soft spot for Alien Resurrection. I love the style. I love the cast. I love the interplay. It's got some of that sassiness of Aliens, but also it's got some of the bits that Sigourney Weaver was vying for with Aliens, including the I want to have sex with the alien, <laughs> which kind of happens. Yeah, the scene when she walks in to see all of the clones... The, the Ripley clones, I think, is really, really great. It also shows that at that point, more than ever, Wayland Jitani were playing God. Thank you very much. Yes, welcome to the only oil rig in the world where Sue Pollard could cool her heels after a hard day on her knees. Yes, it's a Heidi High video game extravaganza where campers get up to all sorts of nefarious activities. Dominic Diamond is doing his Slipknot gimmick once again. This is the only oil rig where Sue Pollard can rest her feet after a hard day on her knees. That's because she was a cleaner <laughs> in the TV show Heidi High. <laughs> Just in case any of our listeners are too young <laughs> to know that what that's referring to. But no, she played a cleaner uh, at a holiday camp in the sitcom Heidi High. So that's why she'd have been on her knees. They were making a blowjob blow joke. Come on now. They, they were making a blowjob joke. But in reality, and not the diamondism zone, <laughs> she was a cleaner on Heidi High. Well, it's time for our Heidi High gaming extravaganza, and we'll find out what our first challenge is from the Games Master. Greetings, and welcome to the Games Week. I've chosen to start this evening with a bang on Terminator 2. With the aid of a bazooka, called the Menacer, our first doughty competitor will need to destroy the T-1000. Games are possible in under one and a half minutes. A healthy supply of ammunition is absolutely... 
Oh, dear. How terribly embarrassing. My calibration's playing up again. <clears throat> well, good luck with the challenge. Well, we've seen the Super Scope in action playing Mole Patrol. Now we get to see the Menacer on Terminator 2 Judgment Day beat the T-1000 in 90 seconds. Now, it would be easy to call the Menacer peripheral a Super Scope ripoff. And the reason it would be easy to call the Menacer a Super Scope ripoff is because the Menacer is a Super Scope ripoff. Oh, yeah. Even just to look at it, you can see it's like they just chopped the front off the Super Scope. It's even done in shades of grey, which really, really doesn't fit the Mega Drive aesthetic. Nope. But I can see why they didn't make it all black, because even at that point, all black toy guns, mm, mm. they were a bit problematic. Not allowed that, mate. But while it was created as a clone, Sega did go with the best of intent. They wanted to try and support it as more than just a clone, and it did allow them to get a number of pretty good arcade light gun ports onto the system. And it did come with a packing game. There were six mini games, much like you got on the Super Scope, and to tie it into existing Sega franchises, one of them was kind of based on Toe Jam and Earl. Because when I think of Toe Jam and Earl, <laughs> I think of guns. Yeah. But they announced it alongside the Sega CD at the May 92 CES show in Chicago. And I tell you what, with the Mega CD, that's where the Menacer would come into its own. Because all those American laser games, one of which we're going to see later in this episode, could now come to the Mega CD. And I say could because technically the game we're about to see later was announced for the Mega CD, but never released. And some of the other games that we did get Finn featured previously on Games Master, like Mad Dog McCree and Who Shot Johnny Rock, Corpse Killer, which we've talked about in relation to John Lafayette. And we get Mad Dog McCree 2 in a future episode in this series. Something to look forward to. <laughs> anyway, to talk a little bit about the game T2, the arcade game, this was indeed a home port of an arcade game. And I think the first time we've had a shooting game that is a home port of an arcade game on Games Master. Normally, we've just wheeled the arcade games in. In the original arcade, Schwarzenegger, Robert Patrick and Eddie Furlong all reprised their roles, shot some specially digitized footage and scenes for the game. It was a fun game. It was a peak time for light gun games. There were some great games coming out around this time we've already talked about alien 3 the gun t2 is right up there alongside it in my book one likeness that they didn't bring back though was linda hamilton she was done with the franchise <laughs> at this point she would not give her likeness or her voice so she was played by debbie evans yeah it really was one of the big arcade games of 91 and kind of indirectly led to the creation of the mortal kombat movie and in a way mortal kombat as the game it would eventually become because lawrence Kasanoff left Lightstorm Entertainment who were really you know they were behind Terminator 2 when the Terminator 2 arcade game and he was sitting there atop his arcade game throne as he went off to do Lightstorm and then got contacted by Midway who were telling him about how his arcade game is gonna get beaten by this new arcade game Mortal Kombat so he flew out there to see this game in action to see what could possibly beat Terminator the arcade game absolutely fell in love with it helped them kind of develop the game story and develop the game characters which in turn then made the movie version of it as well when Midway went under he laid claim to own a lot of those characters and say that he was responsible for the way that these characters were sharp shooting his way through this up apocalyptic challenge is a feisty young fellow from Croydon. Please welcome Simon Bland. Sure, Simon. This is for you. Thank you. Now, Simon, tell us a little about the, about, about the Menacer. What's it like to play with? It's okay. It takes a bit of getting used to. How do you fancy your chances at the, the T2 game then? 
I don't know, it should be all right. I've had lots of practice at it. All right, well, listen, best of luck, Simon. If you'd like to hang on there, get ready to shoot off. Well, sharpshooting his way through this challenge is Simon Bland from Croydon, um, who says that... Croydon <laughs> represent! <laughs> you jump for that. Hey, you did the same for Reading. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, he says the menacer takes a bit of time to get used to, but he's had a lot of practice uh, and he's ready to shoot off. So to speak. <laughs> Reading shotgun with me for this challenge is Neil West from Mega. Welcome, Neil. Now, what attributes does Simon need to be triumphant tonight? Well, he's got to have a sure eye and a quick trigger finger, that's for sure. Um, he says he's been practicing, which is good, because there are three crucial shots he's got to get in throughout this challenge. He's got to shoot the Terminator once in each eye and then between the eyes. And he's got to make sure that he doesn't get the boy John. Okay, he's got a lot to think about. Let's hope he's up to the task. So, Simon has one and a half minutes in which to dispose of the T-1000 and save mankind. Neil West from Mega is in the booth. You need a good trigger finger. He's got trigger happy. Yeah, you did a bit. For this game, but there are three crucial shots that you need to do, which is shooting the Terminator in each of his eyes and then in between the two and not to shoot John Connor. Given Eddie Furlong's portrayal, I know it's tempting, <laughs> but you must not shoot John Connor. Now, he's got 90 seconds to do this challenge. Oh, yeah. Which feels especially challenging given the first 30 seconds do not actually feature any enemy few to shoot at. They are John Connor running left to right while you collect ammunition. Yeah. And with one minute and one second on the clock, finally, the T-1000 makes his entrance. And unfortunately, from that point onwards, the challenge is pretty much over. There isn't much in the way of tension or, ooh, will he make it? Because he's collected a lot of ammo and he's using it. He is blasting the shit out of this T-1000. And collects more ammo at the same time. And you said that at one minute and one second, the T-1000 makes his appearance. This challenge is over at one minute and 13 seconds. What we've talked about previously with these light gun games is they're more fun to play than they are watch people play them. And I really do think that's the case here, particularly as you say, because, you know, the end boss fight really is 10 seconds long it is a considerable anti-climax and thankfully the ending of the film is much better thumbs up thumbs up <laughs> definitely not two thumbs up only because he actually only had one <laughs> thumb at that point didn't yeah. he but it ends with the terminator being blown back his head having been shredded and boom boom a couple of grenade rounds to the chest and off he falls into the lava and the 10 seconds isn't helped by the fact that there is some confusion from neil west's commentary because he says that you've got to shoot both the two eyes and then in the middle right but he shoots the right eye but then he shoots the right eye again and neil west says oh that's going to reset he's going to have to do the whole thing over again but then he shoots the left eye and just shoots him right down the middle of the head so both dominic diamond and neil west are like now he's got to get the left oh it's the right eye again. again he's got to start again he cannot do that he can't shoot two the same eye in a row Okay, oh, he's ducking and weaving this T1000. Okay, there goes the left. Now he's got to get the right one. Oh, no, he's oh. in the middle now. Is that all right? Is that one to the right order? Yes, yeah, it has. that was okay. Now he's got a blue let him get away with it. Oh. Oh, well, he, he's, he's done it. Oh, and the, the, the challenge is over. Either Neil West just got this completely wrong, or he was thinking about the arcade game. Yeah. The actual arcade version, maybe the arcade version, because also the arcade version would have higher difficulty because they want those quarters. Yes. Maybe the arcade version, you did have to follow the specific pattern of left eye, right eye, down the centre. Yeah. Congratulations. Now, Simon, we gave you a minute and a half. You only needed one minute 13. Was, was there any problems for you at all there? No, I got a bit worried towards the end when you had to do um, shoot him in one eye and then the other, but it seemed to go all right this time. 
It certainly did. And that masterful marksmanship means you have won the Golden Games Master Joystick. Simon was a bit worried about the eyes, but seemed to go all right for him in the end. Sure did, mate. Off you go with your Golden Joystick. You know, what more could we expect from a man fully decked out in a tactical turtleneck? <laughs> So yeah, overall, do you know what? It was a better Terminator 2 challenge than the last one we had. Therefore, I give it a huge thumbs up. It was also nice to see a home conversion of an arcade game that wasn't a beat-em-up. Yeah. Something a bit different. This week, we set hearts a-pumping and spirits erect as we look at heroic games. First up, the man with the hat and the worrying love of whips is back in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Didn't like this very much. It's just a bit boring, really. Uh, it's a platform game. It's got, it's, it's simple. The actual gameplay of jumping over things and collecting objects has been done countless times before. And on the Mega Drive, it just isn't passable anymore. Quite nice. Not the great, greatest thing you'll ever see on the Mega Drive, but certainly okay. Well, let's get our hearts a pumping and spirits erect because it's heroic games in the review zone this week with Jazz Rignall from Me Machines, Steve Keen from CBG and Brandon Kushti. And our first game is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on the Mega Drive, which is quite crap. You know what? It's fairly crap on the NES. It's fairly crap on the Game Boy. It's fairly crap on the Master System. It's fairly crap on the Mega Drive. It's fairly crap. Yeah, it is a bit crap, this game. The man with a hat and a worrying love of whips. Jazz didn't like it much. It's just a platforming game. It's very simple. Steve says it's all been done before on the Mega Drive. That's unacceptable. And Brandon thinks it's quite nice, actually. Certainly okay. 68%. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair enough score. I mean, it's 3% higher than Sonic 2. But, you know, I think it's a, a fairly... Oh, I don't know. I'd have probably gone lower than that because actually, it's. I played it again recently, and it's just. It's not good. It doesn't look good. No. It doesn't look fun. But let's just talk a little bit about our reviewers because the jazz man is back. He's had some hair taken off since last time, but it's nice to see Jazz Rignall back. And I think his misery at this game is entirely justified. Yep. We've got Steve Keane from Computer and Video Games keeping the C and VG flag alive. And from Parts Unknown, we've got Brandon Kushti. Yes. Kushti. <laughs> I don't want to say this isn't a real person, but I've never heard the surname Kushti. No. That's got to be a nickname. Yeah. Like Kushima, Cushins, any uh, Cushington, any of those. I cannot believe someone's called Kushti. <laughs> Internet, please prove me wrong. Put us in touch with Kushti. Because also, it will always be interesting to find out where he's from, what his background was to get into this. Because, as I say, going by the subtitle, he's just from Parts Unknown. Next up on the NES, Errolton lookalikes unsheathe their weapons in Pirates. Really good, addictive, plenty of gameplay there. Should keep you going for hours and hours, weeks and weeks. Um, even the hardiest games player is going to find this a real challenge. Graphically, Pirates leaves a lot to be desired and it looks very crude. But scrape away that rubbish exterior and there's a real blinder of a game waiting to get out. This is excellent sterling stuff. Doing way better on the NES, it's Pirates with Errol Flynn types unsheathing themselves. Brandon says that it'll keep you going for weeks and weeks. Even the most hardened of players will get a lot out of it. And Steve says that it does look crude and it does really look crude. But you wipe that away and it's excellent sterling stuff. A fantastic 91% for Pirates on the NES. Jazz's thoughts were unknown on this one, but he probably liked it because it's not a platformer. <laughs> yeah. Also, 91%. What a respectable score. I mean, that's at least 26% <laughs> higher than Sonic 2. <laughs> 
would get in Games Master magazine. Very good. This game wasn't just a NES game. This existed on a number of different platforms. It got its start on the home computer platform. It was from Sid Meier of Civilization fame. And the only real change for the NES version is that instead of trading in tobacco, you traded in crops. Ah, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Nintendo family friendly. Can't trade in tobacco. (laughs) It's just got to be, I don't know, cannabis. (laughs) Finally, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, men wore white bathrobes and had hairy friends in Super Star Wars. It's challenging, it's really addictive, tons of variety. It's mainly platform-based, but it's done extremely well. I absolutely loved it. When I first got hold of Star Wars, I was really delighted with what I saw. But it didn't take long to get to the end. Along with Super Mario Land, this is the game that your Super NES was made for. Super Star Wars is nothing short of spectacular. And finally, a game I absolutely love. It's Super Star Wars on the snares. A long time ago, men wore bathrobes and had hairy friends. Uh, you know, Jazzman, who hates his platformers, likes this because it's got variety. And he even likes the platforming bits a little bit. Um, it doesn't put him off, in fact. He loves it. Brandon says that it won't take you long to get to the end. But Steve said it's the best snares game going along with Super Mario Land, which I presume he meant Super Mario World. 87% for Super Star Wars on the SNES. Well, I, I think it probably deserves higher than that. I think it's a great game. It's a great game, and it's one of a trilogy of great games on the Super Nintendo. I think my favorite was Super Return of the Jedi. Same here. That was a really good game, and going back and replaying all three of these is a joy. They can be completed quite easily, but you know what? There's a lot of replay value because these games sound great, they look great, They've taken a few liberties with the story to make it fit the trappings of of essentially a console game. They've also had to come up with some bosses because obviously Star Wars, there's a boss. It's kind of the Death Star. That's about it. So they come up with some other ones. Like there was a boss monster that was based on one of the pieces from the chess game (laughs) that R2-D2 is playing with Chewbacca. But great way to incorporate a little bit of design and an Easter egg for the diehard Star Wars fans which, you know, it's Star Wars. There's a lot of diehard Star Wars fans. And an interesting note from the production is that unlike a lot of games, there wasn't a lot of pre-production artwork because it's Star Wars. Everyone already knows what Luke Skywalker is meant to look like. Even now, this game looks great. It's still out there. It's still available. It's been re-released multiple times, last time of which I think was in 2015 or 2016. Go out there, throw a few quid at it, check it out. It's arguably one of the most satisfying set of Star Wars games to play. One of the things I'm really looking forward to with this run, aside from just, you know, reviewing every episode of Games Master with you, it's seeing the return of Star Wars because it does have this sort of like surge of popularity in the 90s because I think some new VHSs get released and then obviously we get the special edition VHSs released in 97, which is going to spark the release of The Phantom Menace in 99. But Star Wars just feels like it's on this big resurgence in the early 90s. And that is down, you know, to the expanded universe novelization stuff but it's a really really fun time to be a star wars fan in a short while on the pc we've got x-wing and then tie fighter and x-wing versus tie fighter but we almost had this game on the mega drive as well not quite sure what it would have been called one can assume mega star wars and it was in production from 92 until some point in 1993 it was then cancelled however an early prototype of it has been found 
and put out onto the internet. So you can actually see at least part of what Super Star Wars would have looked like on the Mega Drive. Everybody must have seen this spanking Super Nintendo ad that's been bombarding your senses for a while now. This week our feature looks at how it was made. The ad's creative director Andy Wakefield talks us through from start to finish. What Super Nintendo had to do when it was launched as a system was to establish itself as the ultimate in gameplay. We spent about three or four days, which went into a week and two weeks, just playing games. Um, we very quickly realised that we were absolutely useless. We couldn't get past level one, and that's really the birth of the line, will you ever reach the end? The ad began life as a storyboard, a book of drawings showing what the finished ad would actually look like. The main character was then sketched out, but they required somebody to fill its boots. We thought the Sega guy was a bit too squeaky clean, a bit too Tom Cruise. We wanted someone a bit more Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke did not know quite what he was letting himself into, however. He was hauled around, turned upside down and filmed against blue screens. This would allow game footage and other film to be laid in behind him. But perhaps most difficult of all was the complete body cast, which was required to make the robot costume. That was probably pretty painful. He was about eight hours in makeup. The stage was now set for the special effects technique called morphing. It's a technique that changes from one extreme to the other. We changed a normal looking guy to a superhuman robot. When you see the hands racing over the controls, that was done in, in a few different stages. A similar thing was done with a mask and stage by stage, the visor came down over the face to form like a mercury over, over the visor. Finally, how long does all this malarkey take to complete? All in all, from start to finish was about three to five months in the end. The total cost has become a bit of a myth, really. Let's say half a million. Well, speaking of the snares, we get a look at the advertisement that's currently playing on TV screens with the creative director, Andy Wakefield, taking us through everything. This is better than the Sega one we had back in Series 1, but it is also, you know, it, it's op-ed stuff. They do their best to make Andy Wakefield look interesting, <laughs> which, given he looks like he's about to slip into a coma for most of this, is challenging. But he does open it up by saying that they realised that playing catch-up with the Mega Drive, they needed to establish this console as the ultimate in gameplay and they spent two to three weeks playing the snares and realized they were rubbish yeah. at pretty much everything and couldn't even get off level one but their abject failure as gamers did give birth to the catchphrase for nintendo in this campaign will you ever reach the end and then end would form part of the nintendo and it speaks to what we were talking about the other week the longer games on the super nintendo versus the short time of say sonic 2 <laughs> i'm just ref I'm, ju I'm just literally referencing what they said in the magazine luke i'm not needling you over this it's so funny to look back at this because in america the genesis advertisement you know after they did the genesis does what nintendo when tom kalinsky took over and they got the whole new advertising campaign around it was welcome to the next level and that came about because they showed some kids you know they sort of tested some kids here's what the sort of marketing we're looking to do and they all said that's all the first level of sonic you probably don't even know what the next level looks like because you're old and you don't know how to play these games admittedly you know yeah we didn't know what the next level looked like so the tagline became welcome to the next level just these marketing companies being shot at games has ended up being the tagline for both nintendo in the uk and sega in the u.s 
also it's kind of sobering to think that those marketing executives that are being told they were old and they didn't know what anything beyond level one looked like were probably our age or younger oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. but we're not old we're young and cool <laughs> we're still hip exactly with our games master podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was trying to give a clever comeback and i'm like nope we're sat in our respective rooms connected over the internet talking about 30 year old dick jokes <laughs> I did like how they said that they thought the Sega guy was too Tom Cruise and they wanted a more Mickey Rourke type character to be in theirs and film against a blue screen. Mickey Rourke or Gary Busey? Because I'm thinking a bit more Gary Busey, a bit more crazy eyed and crazy teethed. Unlike the Sega piece, which was very dry, they do show the actual making of. We get to see storyboards. They show clips of the body cast of the guy because this guy goes from being gamer guy to gamer guyver. He gets the kind of biomechanic stuff. And yeah, I wrote that line <laughs> down because I was super proud of it. <laughs> and like most makeup and prosthetics of the time, it would have been a very long and arduous task. Eight hours actually feels like a fairly reasonable amount of time to spend in makeup, particularly given the complexity of it. But they were splashing some money around here. And while they didn't hire ninjas or get a truck in for him to live in, they did CGI morphing. At this point, that was the remit of Terminator 2 and Abyss and movies that wanted to be Terminator 2 and the Abyss. Yeah, and Bad Influence, where we saw Randy Crane turn into Violet Berlin. By comparison, that was really rudimentary. <laughs> I mean, compared to this, this yeah. was film-level morphing, whereas the morphing that we saw them do in Bad Influence, it was home computer-level morphing. That was Amiga. This is SGI workstation stuff. Yeah. And as you say, they didn't spare any expense. They reckon it cost around half a million to make this advert. That's no small chunk of change. And took three to five months to make, at least the first month of which would have been them working out they were crap at video <laughs> games. <laughs> but there's a brief demonstration of the chroma key process they used to make it look like he was flying through the video games. And half a million feels believable because you know what? Even by today's standards, this advert doesn't look cheap nope. it looks like some money was thrown at it and i'd argue this advert has actually aged better than the sega adverts we looked at last season 100 percent. finally if you're worried by press stories about video games and epilepsy we have a special information line and a fact sheet on the subject we'll give you the details at the end of the show now lastly for this section we get a little bit of a bulletin come up on the screen and it is essentially dominic diamond saying for those of you concerned about epilepsy and video games, got a hotline, we've got a fact sheet, details will be at the end of the show. Because while we were enjoying our Christmases, video games made headlines again, it made tabloid headlines again, and this time it was to do with the dangers of epilepsy and video games. Yeah, it all started with the Daily Mail had a front page headline with Nintendo Face Hellstorm in its January 7th issue, uh, pointing out that during the festive period there were several reported cases of children experiencing seizures after playing video games this is taken from an excellent nintendo life article which we've got linked to in the podcast description but it became worse for the video game industry two days later when uk tabloid newspaper the sun infamous for its sensationalized headlines had the ominous headline nintendo killed my son emblazoned on its cover which was the story of jasminda bassi who's 14 year old and suffered an epileptic fit choked on his own vomit while playing super mario at a friend's house on their nintendo system um, jasminda's mother said my son was fit strong and healthy yet he was killed by watching a tv set she says here 
I have no doubt that it was the Nintendo game that made him have the seizure. However, she added that Nintendo were not to blame for her son's death, pleading with the games industry to do more to warn parents about the risk of epileptic attacks brought on by playing video games. Now, 14 years old for any cause is no age to die at. Epilepsy is a very serious problem and it's not one that's just caused by video games or flickering images on a TV. A a flickering candle can cause an epileptic seizure. It's not the source of the light, it's the frequency of the flicker. Mm. Technically, if you are susceptible to epilepsy, then the candles on a Blue Peter Advent Crown could be just as dangerous as a Super Nintendo. What this did bring about, in addition to really horrific, sensationalised headlines that even took a grieving mother's words, making a nice big sensational headline that they knew would cause more copies to fly off shelves and do nothing for her and do nothing and do nothing for what needed to be done, which was raise practical awareness, put warnings in games, put warnings in booklets, give advice on playing at a safe distance, at taking regular breaks, the sort of things that we actually now take for granted. Back when I was a kid, sitting less than two feet from the television was not unusual. Nope. Now, there's usually at least two metres between me and the television. Now, admittedly, televisions are bigger, but I guess I'm older. I feel the eye strain or I recognise it. What The Sun did was irresponsible journalism. What Games Master did by offering advice, a newsletter and a hotline was responsible journalism because they were looking to educate, not scare. You may have read in the papers recently about computer games and epilepsy and how one can cause the other. And The Sun even went so far as to print this pretty scary headline, Nintendo killed my son. Well, is it all true then or a lot of media hype? Let's find out. This is Avril Stewart from the British Epilepsy Association. Welcome to Bad Influence. Hello. A better group of people to comment I cannot think of. But first, tell us what is an epileptic fit? What happens? Well, the brain just stops doing what it normally does. It can be triggered, of course, by different things. It can be triggered by um, flashing lights or it can be triggered by lack of food, hunger, boredom. But in this particular instance, it's triggered by the television screen flashing at a particular rate. It's got nothing to do with whether it's got a computer game on it or not? No, not at all. It's the flicker rate on this particular screen. Right. Can you catch it from a television screen? No, definitely not. You have to have already that inbuilt susceptibility. Your brain has to be able to be sensitive to this particular thing. So if you are and you want to obviously limit the chances of having a seizure, what can you do? Well, you could use a small screen as we're looking at at the moment. You can make certain that you play the games in a brightly lit room. Don't play it too often or when you're tired. And if it's at all possible, use perhaps a small screen like this. That's an LCD screen? Yes. Because that one doesn't flicker? That's right. Yeah, there's also one other thing that I was fascinated to learn was that um, you can help yourself with one of these, can't you? Yes, exactly. Why is that? If the brain doesn't receive the messages from both eyes, it can't have a seizure. It has to have both pictures. Okay, so then play in a bright lit room, use a small screen, sit well back and don't play if you're overtired. And if you are subject to epilepsy, Maybe an eye patch will help you. Thank you very much indeed, Avril. Bad Influence also had a really good piece on this as well with Andy Crane bringing up the sun. You know, he had a copy of the paper in his hands and, you know, talked to an expert about this. You know, it, she went through it piece by piece and said, you know, a really simple solution to this is either a, you know, you play on a small TV, you sit further away or you wear an eye patch. 
because if you cover up one of your eyes, the signals won't get sent the same way. It's amazing to me to see, you know, I mean, fuck the sun for, a, for the stars. I think that, that goes without saying. It's a terrible shit rag of awfulness. But it's a, it's so good to see that Games Master and Bad Influence were doing actual responsible stuff as opposed to the bags over at the sun who were just trying to sell copies like the nuggets that they are. Absolutely 100% agree with you. And the ties between epilepsy and video games would not go away. Even in 2002, this was again mentioned in the Nintendo Life article, a mother tried to sue Nintendo after her 30-year-old son died after having an epileptic seizure. This was a 30-year-old man who knew he had a history of seizures and yet continued to play his Nintendo 64 for long periods of time, up to 48 hours a week. And I'm sure at some point we will get this back again Mm. because every so often there needs to be a boogeyman. Oh, yeah. There needs to be a villain. In the 30s and 40s, it was comics and it gave birth to the comic code. In the 50s and 60s, it was rock and roll. In the 60s into the 70s, it was hippies. In the 70s into 80s, it was horror movies and the video nasties. And then in the 90s, it was video games. And as we got Mortal Kombat. Marilyn Manson. And Marilyn Manson. And I'm really glad that at this time, the main source for video game news on the television, be it Games Master or Bad Influence, was doing something. They didn't dismiss. It would have been easy to dismiss. It would have been easy to ignore. But no, they took the high ground, which I think is admirable. And I'll just end this off by reiterating, fuck the sun. If you're gasping for tonight's celebrity challenge, then gasp no more, for it's over to Games Master, who'll reveal all. Tonight's second challenge is a sharp shooting showdown on Galahas Gallery. The object of the game is to accumulate points down at the local shopping mall by shooting more objects than your opponent. So prepare yourself for some anguish in the aisles and have a nice day. Oh, three sideways with a watermelon, it's Gallagher. (laughs) It's Gallagher, Gallagher's gallery. You've got to shoot more objects than your opponent does down the food aisle. Uh, So Gallagher... Isn't a name that like I don't remember from my childhood, and I just don't think did he penetrate the UK the same way because he was you know very big in the US as you know this guy who smashed up watermelons basically like that was his main shtick. But did he have a presence in the UK? Because if he did, I don't remember it. He didn't have a sustained presence in the UK, but in the US he was a tour de force and is still going. Yeah. Amazingly, disturbingly. But yes, his entire shtick was the Sledgeomatic, which is essentially a riff on various infomercial food peripherals and kitchen gadgets you can get. Gallagher would tell some jokes. He did some English language jokes, which were kind of funny at the time, kind of playing on the meaning of words and the pronunciation and all that. But invariably, his shows would lead to the Sledgeomatic, which would involve a big wooden mallet and an increasing level of objects that he would smash to the point where the front row or so of his audience, they dressed for it like they were going on Splash Canyon at a theme park. They were like wearing plastic overalls or smocks because they knew they were going to get covered in something because it wasn't just melons. Oh, no. Whole chickens. (laughs) Size of ham. Yeah. Oranges. Cans. He was so popular that he technically had his own tribute act while he was touring. He had a brother that looked a lot like him and his brother was also an entertainer and he asked Gallagher if he could use the sledgeomatic gimmick himself 
And Gallagher said, well, okay, but you have to make sure that people know they're not seeing me, they're seeing you. And at first, he was fairly militant on that. He was very, very clear to advertise that he was Roy Gallagher and not the original Gallagher. And then as time went on, he just started advertising himself as also Gallagher or Gallagher 2, T-O-O. He also had way more personal problems than the original Gallagher and his misbehaviour and poor shows started to damage the reputation of the actual Gallagher. The actual Gallagher continued with popularity despite the issues with his brother and their actual rift and claims to be broke now after a massive stock market crash. Mm. but is still touring and still performing, so he's probably still doing mildly okay. But that's Gallagher now. Gallagher then, this game's a piece of crap and American lasers are to blame for it. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to add on Gallagher, I, w- I mentioned earlier that you know, Larry Kasanoff uh, and his involvement with Terminator 2, the arcade game, sort of indirectly led to Mortal Kombat, uh, the movie. Well, Gallagher kind of has a similar trajectory because there was a, an American film producer called Tom Gray who was planning on doing an American version of Are You Being Served? He was a huge, huge fan of that show and that was the plan that he had to do. But he was also friends with Gary Proper who was Gallagher's tour manager and Gallagher handed to Gary a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue one. And Gary then handed that copy to Tom Gray, who said, I think you should make a film out of this. And Tom Gray took that to his Chinese company that he worked for. And that's how we got the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. In a way, Gallagher is responsible for it. Hey, this is a 10. The tab's 13. You're two minutes late, dude. Ah, come on. I couldn't find a place. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. I gotta get a new route. Do you know what? I did not know that. I wish I did not know that because it means I've got something to kind of be thankful to Gallagher (laughs) for. And I do not want to be thankful to Gallagher for anything. (laughs) If you want to know what this game is like without putting yourself through the endurance of trying to emulate it and play it, go to YouTube and look up Gallagher's gallery. In fact, Luke... I'm going to ask you to drop in a clip right about now. Usually at the grocery store, you pick out foods you love. But I'm picking out foods I hate. And you're going to shoot them. I hate spinach. And I hate olives. And I hate anything I can for now. That, that is the humour level of this game. And that is what you will be watching again and again and again. This is a bad game. (laughs) The people involved in it should feel bad. Shooting up a storm in this challenge, we have two celebrity policemen. From the bell, DC Carver and PC Garfield, alias Mark Winger and Hugh Higginson. Very well, all right. Settle down, okay, they're obviously very, very excited. I'm dead excited myself. Listen, I know you've got a hectic schedule. Do you find the time to play some games in it? Well, funny enough, it all started off with um, a Game Boy. Have you ever seen four policemen sitting on the sofa going like this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Hugh? Do you like a little bit of a play? Yeah, yeah, I've got a Sega Mega Drive of my own, which is uh, on a uh, permanent loan to my girlfriend's cousin at the moment. So, Eddie, I'd like it back. Please. All right. Well, obviously, the question on everybody's lips is, does Bob Cryer fiddle with his joystick? Oh, 
Eric's very into motorbikes. He's, he's more into twisting his throttle. Yeah, or uh, tinkering with his tappets, mate. <laughs> All right, well, we'll let Eric tinker away. Well, hopefully not feeling too bad. From the bill, it's Mark Wignett, who played Jim Carver, and Hugh Higginson, who played George Garfield. Hey, it's the bill! I loved watching the bill, not least of which because I lived in the early 2000s where they filmed the bill. It was not unusual to see them shooting, and I believe I'm actually in the background of an episode because they used to use the area I lived in to film the car on trailer shots where they'd be people having conversations in cars while driving. And apparently I can be seen walking to and from the local corner shop in a series of shots while there's a discussion going on in the car. (laughs) But no, I absolutely adored the bill and I'd have probably loved seeing this challenge at the time. And it's also quite a get because Wing It!, was one of the original characters in the pilot for the bill back when it was known as Wooden Top and presented as a one-off play. Oh, really? He was one of the focal points for that first episode. As the series went, he dropped back a bit, but he maintained a role and was in there right up until 2005? Yeah, he was in it from 84 to 2005. Took only a couple of year gap and came back for it in 2007 until 2010. Uh, In that gap, he went to EastEnders. Like, he was so much part of the bill, his brother was writing episodes for it. And one thing researching this led me to find out is there's apparently a Bill podcast out there. (laughs) Of course there is. Of course there is. So that means we can't do that as the next one. (laughs) But he did a two part interview looking back at his time on the show and his career and i'm probably going to go check that out hugh higginson was also in this show for quite some time he was in it from 89 through to 1999 before he moved to australia uh, and has starred in several australian tv shows since then but dominic diamond welcomes them from the gantry and boy these guys look really happy to be there and they look like seriously nice people and absolutely to my shock they are both gamers to some degree, because Dominic asks them if they ever have time to play games, and and Wiggett's the first to jump in, which surprises me because he is the older of the two, saying that you get four people dressed as policemen all crowded round a Game Boy on a sofa, which I love as a mental image, and things like the Game Boy would be great for playing between takes because you could probably hide it on the set, just stick it under a cushion or put it in a desk drawer or something. And it's at this point when Hugh uses the pull of Games Master to point out that his girlfriend's cousin still has his Mega Drive and he <laughs> wants that back. Yeah, Eddie, give him back his Mega Drive. To be honest, if I had a Bill podcast or if I was either asked to go on the Bill podcast to interview Hugh, I'd be like, that's the question I want to know. Did you get your Mega Drive back? Well, that may be the question on your lips now, but back then, Dominic Diamond says the question on everyone's lips was, does Bob Cryer fiddle <laughs> with his joystick? And Wing It is quick to inform us that Eric, Eric Richards, the actor who played Bob Cryer, prefers motorbikes, so he's more into twisting his throttle. And Hugh chips in, or tinkering with his tappets. These guys know the score. They're immediately on board with upping the filth level. Yeah, it's really, really good to see. Meanwhile, if you'd like to see the outcome of this ferocious plainclothes versus CID shootout, join us after the break. This symbol outside means you have the standard inside that an entire library of software has been written to. The Intel microprocessor. Think of it as a library card that lets you run the software of today and tomorrow. So look for computers that have Intel inside. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. British Bulldog's my name, wrestling's my game. It's tomorrow's Daily Mirror, the amazing secret of my life. It's red hot, solid and good. Plus, get your teeth into a free hamburger at Burger King. You feeling hungry? You want a free burger? You got it, only with the Daily Mirror. Take a big bite tomorrow. Welcome back. Mark Wingett and Hugh Higginson from The Bill are preparing for an awesome shootout in Gallagher's Gallery. I'm being accompanied by Tim Boone from NMS. Tim, any tips for the boys on this then? Why is it that you always do the shootouts, by the way? Oh, well, you know what they say about the games master, Dominic. He likes a bit of a bang, doesn't he? But uh, this has got to be the silliest game I've, ever se- I've seen since, well, basically since that carnation. It's <laughs> so stupid. I- I'm not even going to bother to explain it. You've just got to see it to believe it. All right. To reiterate the challenge again, Mark and Jew have to shoot their way through the supermarket level. Whoever's got the most points at the end is the winner, unless one of them shoots something they shouldn't, in which case they've automatically lost. So we need some careful trigger fingers here. Are you ready, guys? Yeah. Then off you go. Back from the ad break and Tim Boone from Nintendo Magazine System is in the booth. Why is he always on the shootout ones? And Tim says, 
Well, you know what they say about the Games Master. He likes a bit of a bang. And Dominic looks at the camera and kind of gives a shrug of like, no, I don't know why he said that either, because it actually has nothing to do with the question that was asked. It's Tim Breed trying to join in the banter, but not doing it as well. He says the game is the silliest thing he's ever seen since, well, Dominic Diamond's carnation. Oh, he's really trying with the banter. I know. Careful trigger fingers are possibly needed. Just got trigger, Raffi. Yeah, you did a bit. And right, okay, so what is there to say about this? You're just you're shooting food. Like the the first thing is like a tray, you're shooting flies on a tray of food, then you have to shooting eggs. It rattles through. It's so fast paced. Like the the egg challenge literally goes about two seconds, and then you're shooting a wedding cake, and then you're shooting Diet Coke, and then you're shooting flying oranges. It's weird because in the challenge as set by Games Master, they show clips of Gallagher's introduction to this challenge, which gives context. Yes. And of course, they don't include the introduction that gives context in the actual challenge. So no, it just looks like you're blowing up a Whole Foods. Yeah, it's just so weird. Mark ends up winning. My favourite line from this, though, is because Mark is, he's winning this all the way through. And at one point, Dominic says, Perhaps you shooting blanks. Is Hugh shooting blanks? I know. I love that line. I guffawed quite heartily. But I know why Mark is winning this. And partly it might be because he's a better games player. But also, he stood at least a foot and a half in front of Hugh. So he is partly obstructing some of the screen, but also is having to move the gun far, far less. Yeah, and Hugh has got it right up to his face as if he's trying to use the sight down the gun to aim at things which he's trying to shoot it like a rifle it's not a rifle Hugh it's a game mate I think that's completely why he totally balls this but the final score is 1900 to 850 CID win the challenge and comfortably so to put that into perspective Mark had 800 points getting off the first stage with the flies it was not a good day for Hugh Okay, now, first of all, Hugh, bad luck. It, was, uh, it wasn't much of a fair cop there, was it? Gutted. Absolutely gutted. I mean, What's your excuse? Um, I'm useless. That's my <laughs> excuse. That's all I can say, really. He was better than I was on the day. Well, Mark, I think we may have to have an investigation. There was a serious shoot-the-kill policy going on there from you. Bullets were flying everywhere. Well, you know, that's, that's CID for you. Oh. <laughs> Not a good day at the office at all. He's absolutely gutted in the post-match as well. His only excuse is, eh, I'm useless. <laughs> Bless him. Mark says, that's CID for you. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought they were very fun. I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them working with Dominic, but the game is pants and it's just another pants American laser game that we've had in this series. I enjoyed this challenge for the pre-match banter, the post-match banter. The game took up less time yeah. than the pre- and post-match banter. And that's fine, because it was arguably worth less. Yeah. Hello, Games Master. Welcome to my consultation area, up here on the helipad. How can I make you happy? On Super Mario World, on the Super NES, I can see the exit of Chocolate Ghost House, but I can't actually reach it. What should I do? Three ghosts need to be gently coaxed into position. Simply move toward them and move away again. Repeat this a few times and you will entice them out into the open. Whenever you turn to face them, they'll turn into blocks from which you can leap toward the exit. Simple solutions for simple people. Thanks a lot. 
Your gratitude is appreciated. What a surprise. Our first kid is stuck on Super Mario World. He can see the exit in the Chocolate Land Ghost House, but he can't get to it. Well, you need to use those three ghosts and coax them and they'll turn into blocks. Use that. That'll get the exit you need. Now, the boos were introduced in Mario 3, but I think Mario World was where they really came into their own. Yeah. And they gained way more presence. Of course, there was all the haunted houses and the ways that they could interact with them. And they would also have a fairly significant role in Super Mario 64, particularly in Super Mario 64, where you also had the big boo. King boo. King boo. There we go. I, I just love the idea of you use the core mechanic of the boo, which is they can't move while they're being seen to actually build yourself a staircase. Yeah. It's not an obvious thing. No, it's not. But I really love seeing this and being reminded of this was how you completed this level. We're still going to see more Super Mario World before the end of this season. I think it may even pop up in season three once or twice. I'm fine with that because it's such a big game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, I know that I say, like, what a surprise that this game is being featured, but I actually love it being featured because it just shows how great the game is and, you know, how, like, the longevity that game has got and the playability it's got. I love seeing all the exits being shown. And... I think to many people, still the best Mario game there is. Yeah. Hello, Games Master. I'm finding it difficult on Blazing Skies on the Super NES. Can you help me, please? You foolish fly-by-night. From the title screen, select Continue, but don't enter a password. Instead, select End. One of the pilots, Colonel Marshal LeBlanc, will now have splendidly superior scores in every department. A tally-ho. Thanks. That's great. Yes, I might know. Well, our second kid's in a suit and is stuck on blazing skies, the foolish fly-by-night. Uh, you go to the option screen, click continue, don't put in a code, select end, and Marcel LeBlanc will now have full stats. Why is this guy wearing a suit? Well, he's massively into his pilot games by the looks of it. Tip, tip, tally-ho. No pilot would wear a suit like that. They'd wear a suit that fits. <laughs> but this was a game that was a sequel to a Commodore Amiga game called Wings, and it was originally called Wings 2 Aces High. But in Europe, I'm guessing because of Paul McCartney, it was renamed to Blazing Skies. This game looks good for the time. It looks fun. And you know what? I went and played it. It's not my normal type of game because we've talked about flight simulators before. But this one is actiony enough that I kind of dig it. Hello, Games Master. Yes, yes. Um, get on with it, dear fellow. On level 13 of Pushover, I can't crack it. Can you help me, please? This game does indeed require a modicum of logic. As you enter, pick up the tile nearest to you. Then walk right and fall onto the platform below, automatically dropping the tile that you were holding. Now go down to the lowest platform and push over the tile furthest to the left to complete the level. Great, thanks. Well, a game I absolutely dig is our final game. It's Pushover, and this kid is stuck on level 13 of this. So what you need to do here is pick up the first block that you see, walk to the ledge, and you fall, and you land into position. And then that means all you've got to do then is go to the other domino, knock it over, and it gets everything. I was stuck on this level, and I was helped on this by YouTube and Johnny Vaughan. Because Johnny Vaughan gives you this hint in the Quavers promotional video that we reviewed back in Games Master Live 92. When you first see the split up, yeah. rather than going down the stairs with it, leap off the end with it, yeah. and you okay. get exactly into the gap. Just save yourself five seconds. Top tips. Okay. All right? Yeah. Now... A couple of episodes ago, when we were looking at Games Master the magazine, 
I said what my notes were for this particular <laughs> consultation zone challenge, and I'll say them again. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> well, instead of going over to Games Master for our final challenge, let's head on over to Dominic Diamond and see what we've got in store. You may remember earlier on in the series, Danny Curley took on all comers at any Sega game. Well, now we decided to do the same with Super Nintendo games. So please welcome British Nintendo champion, Thomas Patterson. Okay, now, all right, calm down. Right, Thomas, tell us a little bit about how you became champion. Well, I played a national tabloid Nintendo competition and I won all that through all the stages. So uh, are you quite confident you can beat anyone on any Nintendo game? Yeah, hopefully. We're done with Danny Curley. Now it's on to the new thing with Nintendo gaming champion Thomas Patterson, uh, who won a regional competition and he's hopeful that he can beat anyone on any Nintendo game. So yeah, it's the Patterson Challenge. Which sounds distinctly more military than the Curly <laughs> Challenge. <laughs> Curly Challenge does just sound like you're eating a lot of chocolate bars. Or a lot of quavers. Or a lot of quavers. <laughs> I just want to give a special shout out to this guy's accent because he is from Scotland. Isn't he just? It's at the end of the show when he goes, knee bother. I can't remember if they say explicitly where he's from, but I'm going to say Glasgow because if he's not from Glasgow, it's somewhere in that area. I'm pretty sure he is from Glasgow because I think it's in the next episode or one of the episodes coming up. They have a bit of Rangers Celtic banter between the two of them. Whoa, <laughs> people have literally died over less. <laughs> All right, then. So if there's anyone there who'd like the challenge, Thomas, please stick up your hand if you fancy yourself as a Nintendo expert. Okay, too ugly, too ugly. Oh, gorgeous, yes. Young boy up there, blonde hair, stripey outfit. Come on down, give him a round of applause. Okay, now, so what's your name then? Mike Bedford. Mike Bedford, where are you from, Mike Bedford? Southampton. Southampton, and your nominated challenge is? NCAA basketball. NCAA basketball. What are you like at kissing the rim, Thomas? Not bad, I'll give my best shot. Okay then, right, Mike, take the left. Thomas, take the right. Let's get ready for tip-off. They throw the challenge out, and Dominic goes through the crowd going, too ugly, too ugly, too ugly, very nice. Oh, lad in the stripy jumper. And it's actually kind of a rugby top, and they bring down this young lad from Southampton. He's Mike Bedford. Yes, and he is picking NCAA basketball. What are you like kissing the rim, Ash? I don't like to kiss and tell, but, you know, I know my way around a rim or two. Yeah, well, Thomas is going to give it his best shot as well. He wiggles his eyebrows a <laughs> bit. Know. He knows what's going on. He knows the score. We talked about NCAA basketball back in our episode on Games Master issue one, because it was one of Dominic's picks of like his favourite games at the moment. There's no way Mike Bedford has picked this game. Especially as it's import only at this point. That's my point. Like, I think this is something that they have got there. And they've asked Mike to play this game. I personally don't think it's something that Thomas has played that much either no. because this game is very even and it's not as even as you'd expect from someone that is a Nintendo champion or from someone that has had any real experience with this game. I will say the challenge is fairly tense because it could go either way for most of the game because it's first to 10 points. While our YTS researcher Doug sets up the game, I'm joined by Jim Douglas from Games Master Magazine. Jim, any tips for this basketball game? Yep, I think um, once your opponent takes a shot on basket, you really shouldn't despair. You should hang around and wait for the rebound because if you can get hold of the ball, then you can be up the other end of the court before they know about it. 
Okay, then, yes, you must take every chance because it's the first person to get to 10 points. Yeah, we've got Jim Douglas from Games Master Magazine saying that you should wait for the rebound if someone does take a shot because then you can make the break. And yeah, as Dominic Diamond stresses, then it's the first person to 10 points. So this game is quite remarkable. It looks so, so wicked considering what basketball games had looked like up until this point. This is absolutely awesome. Basketball games up until this point had fallen into one of three categories. Sideways on, like we will still see in future with NBA Jam. Up and down the court at a kind of two-thirds height, which doesn't work so well for basketball. Or isometric. Mm. Isometric kind of works, but this bad boy is going, no, we're on a Super Nintendo. We've got Mode 7. It's third person. It is third person. Because what it means is in the same way that with Super Mario Kart, the track rotates around your character, so does the court. Mm. It also to a degree explains why the basketball court is apparently in the middle of purgatory. Oh, yeah. Because there is nothing around the outside. There's just some colour. They're just in the abyss. They are in the abyss. But hey, you know what? In the off-season, you take whatever games you can get. (laughs) But I think this game has actually aged really quite well. I wish it was being played by two people that were better at it. Yeah. That is not to dunk on either of the kids. Pun intended. Definitely pun intended. (laughs) It's just the challenge could have been much more exciting because what we end up with is kind of what was said by Jim Douglas. They run on the baskets and then there's a rebound and one of two things happen. Either their opposition gets the ball and runs on their basket or they take a crazy shot and there are a couple of crazy shots in this challenge and then catch it and follow it up with a quick two-point or a dunk. Yes, yeah, they are trying for three pointers here. Like if you're trying to get to ten points as quickly as possible, yeah, it makes sense to go for the three pointers. None of them get them, and there's trying for three pointers, and then there's what Thomas does, which is <laughs> lob the ball from the center line. Yeah, even in NBA Jam, you don't try that crap. But their lack of experience on the game does make for a tense challenge, and it right down to the end, it's eight-eight. Whoever scores first will win and this could be an upset against the Nintendo champion on the first challenge but no he just gets it I think he squeaks off a rebound at the other end and boom he wins the challenge but oh only just it was tense yeah what a squirter oh what an amazing game that was right down to the wire there Mike it was eight all and then he just managed to stop the last one in what was what was the difference in the end there Mike I think it was uh, he got the rebounds of my shots. Yeah, he got the fast breaks after that, didn't he? But you did a brilliant performance. You enjoyed the game? Yeah, it's brilliant. Excellent. Okay, Thomas. Now, you are the champion, but this boy pushed you really close, didn't he? Aye, he's going to be a brilliant player when he gets older. And any excuses from you? Why was it so close? Oh, well, bit slack. (laughs) Bit slack. Hopefully, you can tighten up next week because, unfortunately, we're not going to give you a golden joystick because we think you're too good for stuff like that. But what we will do is ask if you'll come back next week to take on someone else. Aye, no problem. And Mike says that, yeah, he basically won because he got the rebounds. And this is where I think he definitely has not played this game before because he's like, no, I really enjoy playing the game. And Thomas, you know, praises the kid, says he'll be brilliant when he's older. He got a bit lucky and he'll be back next week. Yeah, he says he was a bit slack and Dominic goes, well, I hope you can tighten up. <laughs> Couldn't work out if that was a diamondism or just Don was actually a bit disappointed at how meh the performance was yeah but dominic says he's not going to get a golden joystick because they think he's too good for stuff like that (laughs) i think thomas looks a little bit pissed off with that because he's like oh what the 
back. At least Danny got one in series one, so he's got a golden joystick. Thomas is never going to get one because he's either remains undefeated or he gets beaten. And he probably gets sent to the pit when he gets beaten. <laughs> That's the gong once more, which means it's supper time out here on the camp. Andy Mauritius has done us some cocky San Jack with bean sprouts. Next week on the show, Kathy Dennis will be flying out to try and save the world on Global Gladiators. Kathy and I will see you in seven days. Good night. Auntie Marisha has cooked up cocky Sam Jack with bean sprouts. And Dominic tells us we haven't had this for a while. Kathy Dennis is going to be on next week's show playing Global Gladiators, which I cannot wait for because I love Global Gladiators of the game. It's got a banging soundtrack. This was a very interesting cash in to try and increase their environmental profile. And I look forward to discussing it with you next yeah, week. I'm really looking forward to getting into that next week. But that was episode 16 of series two. We are skating towards the end of series two into series three ash what did you make of it i thought it was a pretty solid episode first challenge with t2 it was okay challenger one fun bits of banter on the commentary all good reviews cracking set of reviews couple of great games in there the feature on the Super Nintendo advert was miles above the Sega advertising one and showed an advert that really has held its own up until this day still looks pretty damn special celebrity challenge Amazing guests, great banter, game, but overall, still good challenge. Consultation zone, good selection of game, fun little back and forth with the games master, including on the last one where he's kind of getting a bit impatient and tells the child to hurry up. And the last challenge, the other side of the fence from the curly challenge, but a similar sort of motif. A tense start with a game that neither challenger nor champion were particularly good at, but that resulted in a fairly close fought competition. Throwing a good mixture of diamondisms, I was quite happy with this one. 85%. Yeah, I was thinking around that same sort of mark, to be honest. I was actually at 80%, but I'm going to bump it up just for the responsible actions they're taking in response to the epilepsy reports that we had around this time. So yeah, so I'm, I'm going to bump this up to 83. I, I thought it was a really fun episode. Like you said, it, like, it was a solid enough episode. The first challenge was pretty good i actually quite like terminator 2 the arcade games it was fun to see that with the menacer of a fun if albeit peripheral the celebrity challenge was a bad game but with fun guests and i i like what i said with the curly challenge i really like these you know these experts pitting themselves these undefeated experts pitting themselves up against the kids up in the gantry so can you take my crown i really love that i think it's a lot of fun and ncaa is a very very interesting game i'm looking forward to seeing what he gets challenged on next week so yeah 83 percent i'm sticking with well, that is going to do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening and downloading and supporting this podcast. If you haven't already, please do consider giving us a subscribe and giving us a little ratings and review on iTunes. It really helps us climb that podcast ladder. And if you want to find us on the old social media channels at under console pod on Twitter at under dot console on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with your thoughts on the show, feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also join our Discord if you want to show some support in other than just listening, you can do that as well, but you get something in return. You can hop over to our Patreon, where at the £1 level, you get our eternal thanks. £5 level, you get episodes a week early and ad-free. And at £10, you get our eternal thanks, episodes a week early and ad-free, and a merch pack, which are out there in the wild now with all sorts of goodies inside. Also, you'll be able to check out our merch store, which is on our website, underconsultation.com which contains mugs badges stickers and the ability to order our first 
t-shirt oh it's a good exciting time to be a fan of under consultation and a shout out to those 10 pound backers over on patreon adam ducker adam warrington cliff rich gordon william and misha thank you all so much for all of your support over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod but that's going to do it for this week. We will see you in seven days time for episode 17 with Global Gladiators. Take care, everyone. Good night, and I'll race you to the bean sprouts. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.